there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Taryn Hatcher, and we also are joined by the dynamic Joe Fordyce, our Flyers pre- and post-game live producer. Joe, Taryn, the Flyers are coming off a 7-4 win over the Capitals over the weekend. Uh, A season-high seven goals for the Flyers, but still, we are talking about the process. The process is not all there. I think a lot of people will admit the team is 8-3-2, and two, but there are some concerns because they are giving up a lot of shots. They are relying on some incredible opportunistic offensive play that you just feel like that's eventually going to give way and, it, you know, the, the balance is going to swing and all of a sudden you're going to get burned by the amount of shots you're giving up and you're not going to convert on all the um, chances that you're – not all the chances, some of the opportunistic chances that you're getting. Taryn, what do you make of it? Are you excited that they scored seven goals and they beat the Capitals in a fun, exciting game? Or are you still kind of holding on to some of those concerns about they're giving up a lot of shots? They gave up 37 to, to the Capitals. They gave up four goals in two periods before closing the door in the third. What do you make of it? I'm emotionally exhausted by that hockey game. <laughs> I, tweeted, I tweeted the other day, I was like, I think I hate this game, but I'm not sure. Because something ex- – like, there's there's – the excitement of the Flyers getting seven goals, right? Because it's a team that's struggled to create offensively. Um, in terms of execution, I think they must have the highest percentage in terms of like goals scored per shots taken. Um, because even yesterday, I've just pulled up the the game sheet and they had what twenty three shots on goal yesterday, and they have seven goals. Mm-hmm. Is that is that like how? I just don't understand how. And, you know, I think some of the shots, some of the goals from the Caps, you're kind of like, what are you going to do there? Ovi's one shot from the point. You know Carter Hart wants to stop that. But then Alex Ovechkin's puck coming at you like that, it's, it's hard to stop that. The one that Phil Myers got kind of, um, like, posterized on um, that ended up, being finished by Tom Wilson, right? Um, that was one where you sit there and you go, well, Phil, it, that's not Phil's fault. Like, Phil, Phil's one of the best skaters on the team, so Ovi can do that to anybody. Um, but you do look at, I think there were two or three defenders down the middle who just did not cover Tom Wilson at all. So that's the frustration of the game, is there are certain things where you can compromise internally with yourself and say, all right, I'm okay with that. That I, I get it. I get that Alex Ovechkin's going to score goals. And what you have to do is shut down everybody else and outscore them. And the Flyers did half of that. They did outscore them. They just – there's still a lot of issues. And the thing that's hard is that it's like – 
it, it's, it's almost like being in school and your math teacher being like, show me your work, show me how you got to your answer, show me how you got to the right answer, because I need to know how you did this so that I know you're doing it the right way. And the flyers are just like handing them doodles that make no sense, but they get to the right answer. And it's, it's frustrating because it does feel like at some point the luck has got to run out, right? At some point it's going to be the best team wins games. And I don't know that the Flyers weren't the better team yesterday because if you get six goals and an empty netter scored on you, like you're giving up stuff. But they're not the better team in a lot of the games that they win. They're really not. And, um, you know, I think if the Flyers played the way they played in their second loss to the Bruins of that last set, they would have beaten the Capitals and looked better doing it than the way they played yesterday when they actually beat the Capitals. So it's just, it's very confusing. Part of me is just like, whatever, they keep winning, <sighs> like shrug your shoulders. But at some point, Elaine V, like, it's, it's like a kid getting rewarded for, for bad behavior. Like, I'm, that's how I imagine Elaine Vino is like looking at his kids and they're being rewarded for bad behavior. And he's like, this is not what I want you to do. I want you to do it the right way. Um, so yeah, I don't even remember what your question was, Jordan, because I'm just, I'm, I'm, like I said, emotionally, mentally exhausted from that game yesterday. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. It was funny because it was a noon Eastern time game. Obviously, we know it didn't start until more closer to 1230, but... You know, it's a Sunday morning and everyone's probably getting up and trying to get themselves awake and ready for the Super Bowl. And boom, you just get this high scoring affair where it's back and forth. And it's, yeah, it's emotionally probably draining for fans. But it really, Taryn, it really is such a weird contrast to last season. That's what's weird to me is like, I can't really put my, my finger on it as to why they're playing this kind of way. Like it, if you look at last season, they had an early stretch last year where it was the fifth game of the regular season up in Edmonton. They lost to the Oilers 6-3, but the Flyers outshot Edmonton by 30, 52-22, to and they lost 6-3. The very next game, the Flyers came home. They lost to the Stars 4-1, a lopsided loss, but they outshot Dallas 39-16. to And I remember the Flyers and Vigneault especially were saying, we really like our process. I know it's not showing, but we like our process. We are – dominating teams in shots. Uh, we're really getting chances. It's going to turn. It's going to turn. And it eventually did. It turned the Flyers' process of outshooting teams, outworking teams, living in the offensive zone. It turned, and you really saw the process come together down the stretch. And I, you had to commend them for it. They, they, were, they were adamant about the process eventually turning. And right now, they're doing the opposite. It's like they're getting outshot. There's times where they look really like the game is being taken to them. 
but they're capitalizing. And it's like, you don't know how to feel because they're scoring six, seven goals at times, but <laughs> the process isn't always pretty. So it really is confusing. I don't blame anyone for being confused by it. Joe, what do you kind of make of it? I, uh, I think when you look at, in particular at a game like yesterday, Taryn, you mentioned it, 23 shots, seven goals. The goaltending for Washington yesterday was awful. And it was as bad as you could be. And that was the difference in the game was that Carter made big saves, particularly in the first period. Like in the, in the first 15 minutes of that game, he had to make several huge saves. And that was the difference in the game. And, uh, you know, you look at the other things, and Taryn, you mentioned the, the, the Ovechkin play to Tom Wilson. And, yeah, Ovechkin is going to do that. But you mentioned the other the defense and, and the players in the middle of the ice there. I don't think Phil actually played that play that badly. If you look at his eyes, his eyes are on Ovechkin's jersey. It's exactly what you're taught to do as a defenseman. The problem is Ovechkin was able to fish the puck out from between Meyer's skates when he got around him. It wasn't a clean play like when Pasternak went by Ghost in the other game last week. It wasn't that. Myers did what he could. Nobody picked up Wilson in the front. So, yeah, Ovechkin's going to make a play like that. But your other guys on the ice, they looked, seemed like they got caught Ovechkin watching. They were watching to see what he was going to do. Meanwhile, Myers was the guy actually playing it the right way. But overall, I, just think, I feel like there are so many times in these games where they, they have so many breakdowns that are in clusters that are all together where it just seems like the other team is on a power play for five minutes at a time. And, I mean, yesterday there were a couple stretches in that game where I'm, I'm thinking to myself, when's the last time the Flyers had possession in the offensive zone? One of them was when they were actually on a power play for four yes. minutes at a time, Joe. Right, so. right. exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's it's very um, it's baffling. Um, Carter has had to bail them out several times, um, and I, I would just say when you look at that game yesterday, just as an example, look at what the Washington like the Capitals top line. You have Ovechkin two goals to assist, Backstrom had three points, Wilson had a bunch of points. I think the top line combined for eleven points. I don't see that from the Flyers. And I, and I think that's another part that's going to ha- – it's going to come back and bite them. I mean, they scored seven goals yesterday. Drew had zero shots on goal. I don't think Voracek had a shot on goal. Um, you, you have – I think there's too many of the bigger guys on this team that just kind of fade into the rhythm of the game and you don't notice them uh, as much as you should. And, you know – this has been the theme with the Flyers in the, you know, in previous recent years where their third line, maybe you would say is sometimes their best line. And I don't think that's healthy for a team that has uh, aspirations of making a deep playoff run. Um, but I will say James Van Riemsdyk has been the absolute best thing that's happened to this team. He's, he's a force this year and looks like a totally different player. Yeah, he's been a beast. Um, I think uh, I'm pretty sure entering uh, entering Monday, he was fourth in the league in scoring behind only Dreisaitl, McDavid, and Mitch Marner. So <laughs> the guy's just been incredible. Good for him because I know he was under a lot of scrutiny last year for just the production that he put up. And 
Taryn, go and ahead. And it's, it's not just the thing, and I feel like we've really highlighted a ton of James because how can you not? So I, I don't want to sound like broken record, but the thing, and I'm trying to remember whose goal it was yesterday, but I, and I tweeted something about it, it was it's not just, I think James, part of the reason why people resented James as well is I think they think of him almost like a cherry picker. Like he waits for the power play and he waits in his office and he waits to tip the puck. And that is not what we've seen this year. His hands look amazing. His effort is the highest it's ever looked. One of the goals yesterday, I'm trying to remember whose goal it was. I'm looking at all the goal scorers right now. One of his goals yesterday, or not goals, um, assists, he created the whole play. It was entirely his effort along the boards. It, it was a defensive stop by him, I believe. And then he followed through with the play and the, created the a play out of nothing. Whose yeah. goal was it? Do you remember? One of Lawton's goals, Terry. It was one of Lawton's? Okay. okay. And I just, I remember thinking to myself, and even, you know, Austin, my boyfriend, who's like not a hockey, like I'll sit there and watch every game today. And he's, and he was just like, wow, James is like kind of a bulldog out there. And I was just like, yeah, he is. It's just, he, and that's not really been his thing in the past. Um, at least not in a way that's hyper noticeable, but he's just done it consistently. And, and you start, people talk about James as being streaky, but when, when, a, his streak this year seems to be the whole season, so I think everybody will take it. But when the effort is consistent every game, you kind of have to remove that, that streaky title from him because one of the games where he had no points this season was his highest effort game, and A.V. even said it after the game. And it's become especially – I mean, having Sean Couturier back yesterday was like, oh, my gosh, we can enjoy hockey games again. So that was nice. But in the absence of Sean Couturier – having a guy who's high skill, high effort like that is so, so invaluable. And it's really shown himself. I mean, so, you know, it's just, yeah, good on James because he, at 31 years old, he's doing all the tough stuff that I think most players as they hit their thirties tend to peel back from a little bit, especially when they're skill guys. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's kept this team in games and it's, it was certainly um, again on display yesterday. Yeah, and credit to James Van Reems, like Elaine Vigneault mentioned today in his media availability, that James has had a lot of head coaches in his career. Obviously, he's a veteran guy that's been with two teams, and uh, you, you start dealing with different coaches, different styles, um, philosophies. And James Van Reems, like, signed here when Dave Haxtell was head coach. So he was coming to a system with Dave Haxtell, and then all of a sudden he's dealing with a new coach and Scott Gordon, and then all of a sudden they bring in a new guy, Elaine Vigneault. So he's dealt with a lot of turnover and change. And I think, I think he's really adjusted and good for him. Like you said, Taryn, a veteran guy that's adjusted his style of play. Of, okay, you know what? This coach really likes 200-foot play, um, tenacity on the forward check. You know, that's what, that's what I have to do. And now he's getting the rewards of it. He is adjusted, and he's, um, and he's getting rewarded. Good for him. Joe, how much do you think some of the up-and-down play in terms of the Flyers being outshot a lot and being in their own zone a lot is personnel driven. It's sometimes I'm thinking I'm confused by this as well that, okay, maybe they lost to Matt Niskanen and then they brought in an offensive minded guy in Erica Stuffson. And then they lose a Tyler Pitlick and a Derek Grant and a Nate Thompson, the guys that are known to be greasier and bottom six style North South guys. And then obviously they have younger kids with more offensive talent, like Patrick and Limblom and Farabee playing bigger roles. Maybe it's a personnel thing. And you know what? Maybe the Flyers are changing their style a little bit. Maybe they were more of a north-south, get-after-you team last year, and this year they're going to be more opportunistic, offensive-driven. I can't quite tell, but do you think it's personnel-driven at all? 
Uh, I think that's definitely part of it. And I think the one, the one that you didn't mention there is Couturier being out for most of these games. And he clearly is the best example of a 200 foot player that they have. Um, I feel like a little bit of why that Boston top line ran wild against this team is because Couturier wasn't in there because he would come in and he would cancel out Bergeron usually. And Bergeron's the one that makes that whole thing go. Um, I mean, Pasternak obviously is the best goal scorer, but I feel like Bergeron's the one that makes it all go. And that is Couturier's assignment every time they play Boston. So when Couturier's in there, and I think a, a couple guys on the broadcast said it yesterday, Jonesy being one of them, everything's kind of like in the right place. So everybody's settled when he's in there. And then that changes the way that you play. Cause there's other guys that are not compensating for him not being there. So we'll see. I mean, time will tell if they're, you know, able to um, cut down on the amount of shots they allow. I also think the reason they're getting outshot a lot of times is this team this year has had some issues with not taking opportunities that are put in front of them to get shots on goal. Um, so I, I feel like that is a lot. I mean, yes, the Flyers are giving up a lot of shots. I feel like they're passing up a lot of shots as well. Maybe that's a little bit of a problem. I mean, we, we've had, we've seen this problem with ghosts in the past and I feel like it's kind of come up in the recent games. He'll get the puck and make a move at the blue line and then shoot it directly into a guy's pads. Now, generally when you get the puck and you make a move right away at the blue line, you're making a move to get the puck around a defenseman. And I feel like it goes the other way on him sometimes, which is also very dangerous for a breakaway to possibly go the other way. So I, I feel like the, the amount of, they're not always seizing the opportunity, which can also lend itself to the, the big shot differentials that we've seen. Um, so hopefully that improves as well. Flyers Talk is presented by Wells Fargo. When our communities need us, Wells Fargo is here to help. Taryn, I wanted to ask you, uh, yesterday, uh, Sunday's game against the Capitals obviously was a little different, a little more unique in the sense that there was somewhat of a COVID-19 protocol situation. Travis Sanheim did not play in the game. He was a late scratch because he was placed on COVID protocol. Uh, COVID protocol does not necessarily mean that player tested positive for the coronavirus, there's a number of contributing factors, but he was unavailable because of COVID protocol. The Flyers had to go through a situation where they had to wake up uh, pretty early. It was a noon game, so they were up by 6.15 a.m. to go through a rapid test situation. Uh, they, the test came back negative for a lot of staff, and not a lot, I want to say, for all staff and players. And uh, all parties felt it was uh, appropriate to play, all parties being the NHLPA, the NHL, uh, both teams, uh, medical uh uh, personnel. So they played the game, but Sanheim was out for COVID protocol. Is this just kind of going to be par for the course now in this season? There's going to be a lot of these situations where a player maybe is a late scratch and you wonder why, um, and you have to go through adjustments. Um, I think that's just going to be a roll with the punches type of thing. What do you think? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, we've already seen, and the Flyers were impacted this week. I know we just got our broadcasting schedule adjustments and, and everything, how COVID in the East division has already, you know, change some games and some dates and games and this, that, and the next thing. Um, the interesting thing I remember when the players went back after the pause, went to the bubble. Um, one of the things, and Elliot Friedman pointed it out on his podcast, was that um, the, the, they acknowledged from the get-go 
there may be positives at some point in time. This could happen. Um, and we've decided, and the NHLPA has decided that, you know, a positive test here or a positive test there is not going to completely shut down the operation. It was something that we discussed at length and the ramifications of it and all of that. Um, and that's been very much the case, not just in the NHL, but in every league this season. I think the NFL last night, you could just kind of sense it was almost like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we got through this year. Like, um, and that's, I think that's kind of going to be the case. You can only limit so much in terms of like having a family bubble where the players' families are just around each other, but you can go into like a target and someone could have touched something right before you touched it and they touched, they were tested positive. And now you have enough of, you know, um, enough of the bacteria in you that your tests come up positive and you do, you just have to adjust. And I think, you know, I respect everybody's opinion on the matter. I know everyone feels different, but I think for the NHL to say, Hey, we're going to get everybody up. We're all going to test you today. And if everybody's good to go and the NHLPA feels like it's okay. And the league feels like it's okay. And the team on, you know, JVR is representative to the NHLPA. I think if people were uncomfortable, JVR would have been more than happy to say, Hey, this is not what we want to do. Um, and the guys all tested and they all tested negative and, you know, ready to go. I, I don't know how else you do it at this point. Like everybody's trying to figure it out for the best in their own lives. Like we've, I've had people who are close to me, you know, test positive, like right after Christmas time. And the whole thing is like, okay, well, I can't see you because I'm going into work now and it's NHL season. So if I can't, you know, so I have to go get a COVID test now and make sure I'm negative and then I can go into work. And that's, and I can't see you until you test negative. And that's just how it goes, whether it's a relative or whatever. We're, they're dealing with the same stuff we are. And the reality situation is people making the decisions are also human beings trying their best to figure it out. They have epidemiologists on staff that apparently, you know, are giving them guidance. So, because I think there's just, it, it, there's just too many players in the NHL and this disease is too unavoidable that yeah, this is reality. This is what we're going to do for the rest of the year. Um, it's crazy to think we're already a week into February. So we've only got a handful more months of this left and people are going to start being vaccinated. So hopefully it becomes less of a problem, but yeah, it sucks. I mean, I think you could see the impact of not having Shane had on Provorov's game earlier. And I think, you know, this, but that's just, I mean, Washington went without, like, half of their team at one point. So, yeah. this is what it is. It's just everybody trying to do their best. And, yeah, I don't really have a nice way to wrap this one up because it's just an ongoing thing that's going to continue to happen and we're going to continue yep. to have to address it. And you just hope that everybody's being responsible and can keep it to a minimum because we've seen how it's played out, you know, in Dallas and in Jersey and all across the league. So, yeah, and I know, it yeah, and it, it kind of obviously – it, of course, it reminds me of uh, the bubble last, uh, last season to finish up the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I remember a lot of people were debating the legitimacy of it and will there be an asterisk on this, you know, Stanley Cup winner. W winner. And um, I think a lot of people kind of came to the defense of, no, if anything, these, the, the team that hoists the Cup should get more credit, uh, just given the circumstances in which uh, the, the playoffs was finished up and um, how difficult everything was being away from family and, uh, the restart. Uh, Joe, do you think that will be the case this year? I think, I, I hope whatever team wins the Stanley Cup this year, 
Uh, I hope they get a lot of credit because it will be deserved given all the circumstances of losing players for a significant amount of games. And I think it'll be a testament to the team's depth and people just saying next man up and uh, no excuses. I I hope that that's the case. I I think it will be the case. And I think it should be the case. Um, And hockey's no different than the, uh, the, all the other sports dealing with it. Taryn mentioned the NFL. I I don't think, I don't think anybody's going to go, well, Remember that seventh Super Bowl that Tom Brady won? That was that COVID season, so that didn't count. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody's going to – I mean, if you looked at what happened in the NBA last week, you have Kevin Durant, who's one of the faces of the league, starts to play a game. A test comes back – or his contact tracing came back positive. And I believe Durant already had COVID. And he still got pulled out of a game after he started playing. So, I mean, there's crazy things happening in all these sports, in all these games. Nobody is excluded from that. So um, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have this stuff come up. And I do think it's a a testament to the depth, um, to the coaching, to all these individual players' uh, readiness um, to to be called upon at any point. Um, We had a – uh, it wasn't due to COVID, but I mean, look at two weeks ago when Sam Moran got put in the lineup. I'm pretty sure he didn't expect that Konechny was going to get benched and Moran would come up and play, but he was ready to go. And I think the same kind of mindset needs to be uh, throughout the whole team because of the volatile COVID situation. Everybody has to be ready to play when called upon and just approach it like, um, I'm, re- I'm good either way, basically. Make sure you're good either way. I think the taxi squad helps with that, though. Being, you know, being practicing with NHL players full-time versus, you know, being down at Lehigh is such a different situation. But Joe and I had, were chatting about something the other day in studio, and Jordan, I'd love to – well, I'd love to get both of your thoughts on it. There was an interesting question posed because of, you know, games having to be pushed back and certain teams having to play X amount of games and X amount of days because of COVID and everything else. When we get to the end of the season, right, and the top four teams from each division make it to the playoffs. That's how it works. Four divisions, four teams from each division makes it to the playoffs. Um, if team number two is about to play, you know, team number six and we're in game 50 of the season and there's really not much movement to be had, let's say, like there's no way team number two is going to drop out of the top four. For the sake of, you know, not forcing exposure and not having to see people and not potentially putting teams in jeopardy right before you're about to go to the playoffs, do you you continue to play those games at the end? I think is kind of the question now because – like, let's say, um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't want to use our own division. So I'll say, like, let's say Ottawa is the last team in the North Division. And Toronto is number one. And there's no way Toronto's falling out of the top four. And it's game 53 of the season. So there's three games left. And they play the game. And then after the game, there's an outbreak on the Senators. And they just played Toronto. So Toronto all has to get tested. And then their top guys all have to sit. It's like, do you play those games? Like, it's just it's Karen, a predicament. Yeah, Karen, I think your scenario you bring up there is, is, is an interesting slippery slope because then, then all of a sudden, when are you going back to? Like, how many games 
before the end of the season, does this kind of stuff start? So is it, you know, Ottawa is 30 points back of anything uh, with, you know, I don't know, 18 games left, let's say. So do do people start going, well, the rest of their games should just be canceled. Yeah. I mean, it's fair. It's just, it's like if you get a, I just bring it up because I remember somebody giving a hypothetical. Let's say there's a COVID outbreak on the Sens and they're about to play Toronto and and that game has to be postponed. And it's like, well, are we going to even play these, play this game? And then, like you said, it's just, snowballs and you're like okay well then how how many times are we going to do this are we going to figure out every mathematical equation to who can be eliminated and who can continue to fight for a playoff spot because then at some point it's like let's say some of these games that were rescheduled you know for jersey or whatever that are way later in the season and then there's an outbreak it's just the whole thing this is these are covid questions you know and i'm sure these are questions gary bettman's having to deal with because I'm sure people there's, I guarantee you there's teams that are like, I don't want to be exposed if it's, you know, the last week of the season and I have to get ready for playoffs. And now I have to have a guy who does, you know, pulls a Shane Goss's bear and is not allowed to leave his, his apartment. He can't even go train. And then he's out of condition for the first round of the playoffs. Like, I don't know. I'm just getting too worked up now, guys. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's funny because this kind of season, you, you, everybody's kind of getting caught up in their own division and not always noticing what's going on everywhere else. But take a situation like the Arizona Coyotes had this last week. They had games postponed. They had games postponed over the weekend. So instead of just not playing for a week, they said, okay, Arizona, you're going to go to St. Louis and play these games that are scheduled in March. You're going to play them now instead. So Arizona had to travel to St. Louis to get some of those games in. The scenarios you bring up, Taryn, say they happen later in the year, and there's not room on the calendar to move these games up, those games back, and you don't have all these – there's not room for the puzzle pieces to make sense. So then what do they do? Do they just cancel those games? That's the question. Do they just say, right. you know? But what, but what, what if it, what if it, and, and what if it's games, and you mentioned the Senators, but what if it's games that don't involve the Senators and it's games that involve two teams fighting for a playoff spot? I think that's where you get into a real tricky situation, and I'm sure these are things that they're going over at the NHL offices every single day, how they're going to deal with this kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, uh, hopefully by, you know, April and May, the numbers come down and maybe it's not as big of a risk, but certainly right now you can only deal with what's in front of you. And what's in front of us is that this is still a very big factor in this season. Yeah. There's certainly ripple effects everywhere. If you think about it, the Flyers have had only two players be placed on COVID protocol so far, Travis Sanheim, Shane Gossespierre, and they just had four games rescheduled uh, by the NHL because the ripple effects of other teams dealing with much larger uh, uh, case numbers or, or much larger n- uh, number of players being placed on COVID protocol and games being postponed and that postponement having an effect on a game down the line. So yeah, ripple effects everywhere. Everyone's going to have to adjust and let's just hope everyone stays as safe as possible. And, uh, and, and we can hopefully continue this season and continue to play games as safe as possible. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. 
match with Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Interesting thing, guys. Uh, PointsBet released their odds for goaltenders who are most likely to win the Vesna for this year. And Carter Hart has actually got the second best odds right behind uh, Andre Vasilevsky. He's a plus 700. Uh, just, you know, we've seen Carter have some rough games this season, come up huge this season. You know, he had stopped 33 shots on, uh, excuse me, he saved, he made 33 saves on 37 shots against Washington on Sunday. Uh, we saw him bounce back pretty well from some brutal early season games in which the team didn't really help him out. But uh, Joe and then Jordan, wondering, uh, do, do you think some of it's the hype around Carter or do you think it's really just what Carter's been able to show lately that's got him just behind Vasilevsky for most likely to win the Vesna this year? Well, Tyron, I think it's also uh, – there's another aspect here, and I think there's just a lack of good goaltending in the NHL. Because when you look at that list and you go beyond the Carter and the Vasilevsky, you're like, wait, these are the next best goaltenders in the league? I mean, Tuka Rask, I think, is eighth or ninth down the list. I mean, that's the Stanley Cup winning goaltender. Now, I know, you know, he left the team in the bubble last year and in the playoffs and all that stuff. But, I mean, he's a proven goaltender. And there's just not a ton of great goaltending out there. So, I think when you look at it, Vasilevsky, I think we'd all agree, is the best goaltender in the league. And why not Carter being the second one? I mean, he, he's certainly getting tested as much as any goaltender in the NHL this season so far. <laughs> uh, the thing, Jordan, it's interesting because we always talk about, I think when we talk about Carter a lot within the grand scheme of the league, the Carey Price conversation always comes up because he obviously, you know, idolized Carey his whole life. They saw each other in the postseason last year. But, I mean, 22-year-old Carter Hart at a plus 700 is two spots above Carey Price, who's got the fourth-best odds. He's plus 1,000 to win the Vesna. Uh, are you surprised by, by these names and where they fall? For those who wonder, it's Vasilevsky, then Hart, then Connor Hellebuck, and then Carey Price. Um, and Jacob Markstrom is, is in there at fifth-best odds. But are you – or, sorry, Carey and Jacob Markstrom are both plus 1,000. So – I mean, surprised to see Carter in front of his uh, his idol carry there? I am a little bit. I, I think Carter Hart's starting to put his name in the conversation for sure. I think people are starting to hear more and more about him and why people are so excited about his future and how he's kind of arrived. So I think we're hearing more and more about him. So his name's starting to get out there league-wide. But I, I would definitely say I'm a little surprised he's ahead of some of those names just given the, the names, given the notoriety those names have received in the past. Um, that definitely surprises me a little bit. But like Joe said, he's facing a lot of shots and people know he's only getting better. So I think that's the exciting thing. Sometimes you hear some of these names, they've already done it before. And you wonder maybe eventually they're going to start to kind of have their, their, down, their downward slope. Whereas Carter's only getting better. 
And uh, that's the exciting thing about him. So I am definitely surprised, but I definitely don't think he uh, doesn't deserve to have his name in the conversation. I I think he could have his name in the conversation. And uh, I feel like each of his seasons so far, he he just continually gets better. He might have an early uh, hiccup, but then he just gets better and better. So uh, good for Carter Hart. That's exciting. I think that shows the Flyers have something um, to build around in that. Yeah, it is interesting, Joe, to your point as well about the, the goaltender fall-off. It, it, you, you get outside the top four. Jacob Markstrom is a pretty well-known name. But then Robin Leonard, a guy who struggled just a few years ago, is right behind Markstrom. And then Tuka, Mackenzie Blackwood, Brayden Holtby, Jordan Binnington is a little bit further down on that list. It, it is interesting, the drop-off this year when it comes to the, the goaltender position. For those of you who wanted to check it out, of course, you can go to pointsbet.com. We're looking at the points bet odds uh, for which goaltender is uh, favored to win the Vesna this year. As we mentioned, Carter Hart, second-best odds, plus 700, 22-year-old Carter. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives... There's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard, BMW, the ultimate driving machine. There's plenty of games coming up on NBC Sports Philadelphia, that is for sure. The Flyers have a busy stretch here. They play Tuesday, they play Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday all four of those games on NBC Sports Philadelphia. So fans, make sure you catch Taryn Hatcher on pre and post game live and make sure you watch those shows, which will be produced by our very own Joe Fordyce. Taryn Hatcher, thank you so much. As always, great chatting with you. Cannot wait to talk to you again. Joe Fordyce, thank you so much for joining us. Cannot wait to watch pre and post game live. A special thank you to Ben Barry, our podcast producer. And Flyers fans, of course, as always, thank you for listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Rally. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and subscribe, and we cannot wait to talk to you next time. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.